Okay, have you turned to James chapter 1? You there? Okay, well let me get there then and we'll go. I have been urged to go short. Because it's hot in here. My wife chose a new attack mode. I, I, I have to share on her here and, and, and probably embarrass her. She said, did you just hear something during the song? I said, no. She says, I was sure it was the Holy Spirit saying, go short. Go short. turned around to Peter I said did you just hear something he said no I didn't hear anything <laughs> I don't know well it is warm in here but uh, we'll have a good time here studying in James chapter 1 great to see Will and Emily here from Hawaii former members that have now moved on uh, to Hawaii, and uh, good to have you back here visiting, and uh, always uh, always a pleasure to see you. Okay, James chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse 19, we're going to go down to the end of the chapter there, and so we'll close out chapter 1 this time. i got to tell you, if you're looking for a title here, this, this, is, uh, this is like titled Meat and Potatoes Christianity, okay? This is just real basic moral life, how should a man or a woman of God live. And so today is going to be sort of unabashedly here, very practical about some, you know, just day to day, how should we live as God's people. Let's pick up the reading in verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look, over, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Like I said, this is just basic, fundamental, how should God's people live on a daily basis. There's not a person in this room that this passage of Scripture doesn't say something to. It's how we are. It's who we are. It's how we live. It's just us, people. And it's just plain, practical advice. It's meat and potatoes. How do you live tomorrow? How do you live next Monday? How do you live this evening? 
This passage of Scripture has many things to say to us. Let's dissect it and go down through it a little bit. Whenever a passage in verse 19 says, take special note of this, it means, like, like, big time, pay attention. Because the reality is, any Scripture should have our attention, shouldn't it? So if the Scripture starts out with, hey, really pay attention now, you know that there's going to be something coming that you need to pay attention to. If you're driving down the road and there's a sign and it's just blasting out in in big yellow lights, danger, road work ahead, three lanes going to one, and then you you go another half a mile, danger, road ahead, road work ahead. You know, you, you start looking around and you're like, wow, I mean, you know, something's going to happen here, isn't it? <laughs> Something is, is, is a big time thing here. Whenever the scriptures tell you, hey, really pay attention here, then you know that there's going to be some things coming along that you can use in your life. He says, everyone. Now, who does everyone include? <laughs> You, me, your husband, your wife, the person sitting in front of you or behind you or to your right or to your left. Everybody here is on the same page. You can't look at this passage of Scripture and and be elbowing someone saying, Hey, you need to really pay attention here. Because the truth is, they need to, but you need to also. Everyone. Everyone here should be, and he's going to give three different things. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Now he's going to go on and make another comment about anger. But let's talk about these three things. You. Me. We should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. That's just godly advice of how God's people are supposed to be. For most of us, those are challenging concepts. Because our nature, our sinful nature, leads us to be quick to be defensive and to speak. To find something wrong in what someone is saying to us, if they're saying something to us. Instead of being quick to listen, we're quick to speak. This says we should be slow to speak. Husbands and wives, you've never had an argument that didn't start off with one of you or both of you violating this passage of Scripture. Now, the truth of the matter is, all marriages have fights. There's not a marriage alive that doesn't have fights. They all have fights. Matter of fact, fighting and disagreeing and arguing probably is a way that, uh, in some ways, we refine each other and we come to better decisions many times. But uh, sometimes we all have to admit, if we've been married uh, for any length of time, that some of the fights we have are not constructive at all. Uh, they're they're uh, quite 
destructive, as a matter of fact. As a matter of fact, if you've been married for any length of time, you've probably noted that you have the same fight again and again. You realize this is deja vu. We've covered this ground before, and you're covering it again. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Students in their classrooms get in trouble with their professors oftentimes because they are quick to argue. Now you say, well, a good educational environment is where the teacher and the students argue with one another. That's true if the professor wants to have an argument with you. If the professor does not want to have an argument with you and you're arguing with them, my guess is their appreciation of you is going to go down. They might remember that in the time where they begin to make grades. Slow to become angry. Wow. Quick-tempered. Getting mad, getting mad fast. Slow. You say, well, you know, you need to understand, my mother was like that, and, 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 and I grew up in a home like that, and so I'm like that. This passage doesn't say, if you're from a home where your mother used to get angry, then it's okay for you to get angry quick. This is universal advice of how a righteous person should live. Slow to become angry. Ask yourself, are you slow to become angry? Some of you are hot-tempered. You know, it's that that hot blood that lives within you. I'm not going to say which which uh, which uh, genetic uh, uh, you know heritage you have to come from. No, no, don't start calling out uh, you know heritage. There's no excuse. It doesn't say if you're from a certain part of the world that it's understandable that you have a temper problem. Uh, This this passage of Scripture is saying this is how you're supposed to live. It isn't saying that it's out of the realm of possibility that you and I can be this way. We can be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to to become angry. I would dare say that many of us can look back in our life and we can identify times in our life when we've made some of the most significant mistakes that we've made in our life and we probably can fit those mistakes right into that passage of Scripture. Yes. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Now he goes on with anger and he makes a very uh, very uh, uh, bold statement. Verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. There is a way that God's people are supposed to live. There is a lifestyle of being a man or a woman of God that God looks down on and says, my children are living in such a way that I approve. Now, any parent in the room knows that you can look sometimes into your daughter's room or to your son's room and you can say, I either approve or disapprove. I remember that when my children were younger children. I could go I could go to the door and look into their room and I could say I either approve or disapprove of what's going on by what I see right here. Every parent in the room knows you can do that. 
God looks down on us just like a parent looks in on their children and says, I either approve or I don't of how they're living. There's a lifestyle of being a Christian. Now, within that lifestyle, there's way room for your personality. People say, well, you mean all Christians are going to be alike? Well, yes. But there's going to be a tremendous variety within that they're all alike kind of a category of your personality and, and, and the way that you are and the, the, who you are. Sometimes people say, well, I'm afraid I'll lose my personality if I become a Christian. That is virtually impossible. Look around this room. Man, we've got more personalities in this room than you can count. And types and abilities. I like having the brothers come up, for instance, and, and help out with the communion. And Edgar today did it and did a wonderful job. But you know, when all the guys come up and do communion, you can definitely see a different personality in them, can't you? Yep. Yep. Different propensity, different way of thinking at things and looking at things. Many of you have heard many, many preachers over the years. And, and it's not uncommon to say, hey, so-and-so is my favorite preacher. That's okay, I guess. Everybody uh, might have their favorite. Uh, along that way. Oftentimes that's because the person preaches in such a way that communicates and hits you in, in a good way. We're all going to be different, but we're all going to live within this idea of how does a Christian live? What do they look like? How do they act? How do they think? And he says... Man's anger, woman's anger, anger, people acting out in anger do not live the way God wants you to live. You say, well, angry at what? It doesn't say. What are you angry at? You need to ask yourself, well, you know, God got angry. Okay. Jesus got angry. I'm just being like Jesus. Okay. Really? The anger you're expressing that you're making references because you, you made a decision, do you want to be like Jesus? No, you just got angry and you lost it. Man's anger. People acting out in anger is not within the realm of how God wants us to live. You say, well, Marty, are you being self-righteous here? Not at all. I'm telling you. I have to watch my anger as much as anybody in the room. I get angry at, at all kinds of different things. From, from important things to unimportant things. You know, we have this dog, Beagle, named Jack. 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 I got to tell you, I love Jack, but Jack makes me angry. I came in the room, uh, in, in the house today after being at the Latino service this morning. I'd already been gone for like an hour and a half, two hours. I come in the house, and, and, and beagles are loud, and particularly uh, uh, Jack is loud. And I mean, it's like, oh, oh, and I mean, he's all over me. And I gotta tell you, I didn't think, oh, how cute, how wonderful. Made me angry. Damn, that. Oh, yeah, I've been gone two hours, Jack. Get over it. I'm just being honest. I'm trying to illustrate here my, my badness is as much as anybody in the room. But God doesn't want me to live that way. 
God, uh, uh, man's uh, anger, people acting out in anger, is not how God wants us to live. Then in verse 21 it says, therefore. Anytime the Bible says therefore, it means because I said this, now I'm going to say that. It's a transitional word, if you understand what I'm saying. Therefore. Dad came home, therefore Jack erupted, you know. Because if this happened, now this is going to happen. Therefore, now I'm telling you, put your seatbelt on for verse 21. Man, this is a verse. Get rid of all moral filth. Wow, that's a strong word. Moral filth. And the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word that is planted in you, but can save you. Now, verse 21, look on down to verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to, keep, <coughs> to look after orphans and widows uh, in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Those two terminologies, moral, filth, and to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Look in your Bibles, uh, you know, we're going to come back to James 1, but look up to Ephesians 4, verse 22. Good. Good morning. You guys going with me? Yes. Good morning. Ephesians 4, 22. This is about a person uh, that they've, they've, uh, they've become a Christian. Uh, and... Uh, and he puts it this way. He says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. There's supposed to be, in a person's life that is a child of God, there's a discernible way that used to be you, and there is now a different way that you are. There's an old life, and there's a new life. There's a way you used to live, and there's a way you now live. There's a way you used to think, and the way you now think. James is saying, you've you got to make sure that you don't get back into the pig pen. The moral filth. Keep yourself from being polluted. Is the terminology he uses there in verse uh, 20, uh, uh, well, at the end of, the, of chapter 1 there. Look over to First Peter chapter 2. Another passage that says very much the same kind of thing. First Peter chapter 2 verse 11. You guys there? It says, Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Man, listen to the terminology there, the wordage. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Sometimes people say, well, a Christian is a little different from everybody else. I'm saying they're not a very good Christian then. Because they ought to be a lot different from everybody else. Not a little. There shouldn't be just a little bit of difference between the moral life of a person of God and, and the normal person of the world. Peter says, you're strangers, you're aliens. You're a little out there. Compared to the normal person on the block. Your moral life and standards are different. He says that you should abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. 
This is making a clear decision. I am not going to go there. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do that. I used to do that I, I, in my past life. I used to live that way. Used to be that way I was. But no more. The wording here in James and Peter and Ephesians couldn't be any stronger. The expectations for a child of God is that you have got to look at the world as being where you were, not where I am. A Christian lives in the world, but they're not of the world. There's, there's, not, there's not like a, well, I feel really bad about it. No, I feel awesome about it. I was there. I don't want to be there. And we see it by the descriptive terms here of pollution, moral filth, dirt, is what he says. For most Christians, this is a challenge for us because that the world has almost like a, a, a constant sense of dragging us back into where we were. You become a Christian. You're, you're, you're fired up. I don't want to be like that anymore. And it's almost like the world says, okay, I'll let you go on your little time here for a week or so, but, but, but I'm going I'm to put the tractor beam on you, and I'm going to pull you right back in. Yep. I'm going to pull you right back into where you were. And you and I have to constantly challenge ourselves, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to be that, per- that person anymore. I'm not going to live that way anymore. Okay, now... He gets into this whole thing now about the Word of God. He says, and humbly accept the Word planted in you which can save you. So he's going to talk about the Word. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the Word. Don't just listen and deceive yourself. Do what it says. That's his thought. Don't merely listen to the Word and and be deceived. Do it. Do what the Word tells you to do. Do not do what you're not supposed to do uh, as it pertains to the Word of God. And he uses an analogy here. He said, the guy who listens to the Word and doesn't do it is like a person who looks at their face in the mirror and immediately goes away and doesn't remember what they look like. Now the context of this, he's talking about moral filth. You look in the mirror and you see what you look like. And it isn't pretty. And it scares you. But he says if you don't do something about it, you walk away from that experience and you actually forget about it. And you don't remember how it felt to look at yourself in the mirror and you look bad. All of us have had this experience at one time or another in in our life. Have you ever looked into the mirror and you look in the mirror and you're like, Oh my gosh, I didn't know I looked bad like that. Listen to voices, so you know. Now you look in the mirror. You've been eating ribs. Oh my 
my gosh, I had no idea I had barbecue sauce on all my face. If you look in the mirror, you've you been eating bread, and you get barbecue sauce in your face, what do you do? Oh, you grab a towel, you grab a, uh, a napkin, you, you, you clean off your face. He says, if you look at yourself in the mirror, you're going to see what you look like, and you should do something about it. He said, but here's what it's like, and when you look at the mirror, you see what you look like, you don't do anything. Oh, what are you doing? You're walking through life now with barbecue sauce all over your face. You didn't know at one time that you had barbecue sauce on your face, but now you've forgotten it. You still got barbecue sauce on your face, but you're unaware of it. Everyone who sees you sees the barbecue sauce. You did know, but you don't anymore. You immediately go away and forget what you look like. I'm telling you, sometimes when you read the Bible, it is not a pleasant experience. Sometimes when you come to church, it's not a pleasant experience. Because you see yourself, maybe for a, a split moment, and you're like, Wow! I, I don't know if I feel good about this! Well, you better do something about it, because if you don't do something about it, you go outside the door, and it's gone. Now, sometimes we come to church and we're convicted about things in our life. No more. We don't even get out on the street... And our conviction's gone. Because you didn't do anything about it. You didn't make any decision about your life. You didn't make any decision about what you're going to do about what you just read in the Bible. Or what you just heard from God's Word. You've got to do something about it. Now he comes on down. And he tries to make the point here... That you must do something in verse 27. Right. Or verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious, in other words, okay, fine, you consider yourself a person of God. He says, well, if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you're deceived and your religion is worthless. He said, I'm trying to help you understand here, people, that you've got to look at the Word, you've got to be convicted, and you've got to do something about it. Amen. <laughs> if it doesn't change your life, it's worthless. Now, this offends some people. They, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can someone's religion be worthless? Shouldn't we respect their religion? Shouldn't we expect, uh, uh, respect that, that they're at least trying? Now James says, no, I don't have any respect for it at all. See, I don't know if I feel good about that level of hard lightness. Huh? you got a problem with the word God then. I don't think we're making up what it says. Their religion is worthless. Look over to Matthew chapter 7. You say, oh, I can't imagine Jesus saying anything like that. Yeah. You, you, you about ready to get an education. Here we go. Matthew 7 verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. James and Jesus are on the exact same page. That just because you have a form of religion, just because you go to church, just because you know the Bible, just because you say Jesus is Lord, if you're not actually living the life of a child of God, your religion, James says, is worthless. Jesus says, when you get to heaven, He's going to say, I have no idea who you are. I'm telling you, that ought to be a wake-up call for everybody here. James is saying you've got to look at the Word and you've got to do something about it. And, and option one, rein in your mouth, your tongue, what you said. Catch yourself wanting to say something and then decide not to say it. I can relate with that. Maybe you can't. There are times in my life, I'm just being dead honest with you here this afternoon, where I want to say things. I know how to say things. And I have to catch myself and I have to rein in. He's making an analogy here to, to riding a horse. Reining the horse in is grabbing the reins that are hooked up to the horse's mouth and pulling back. There are times where I have to pull back my mouth because my mouth is going to say it. He says that's true religion. See, sometimes we think true religion is singing songs of of praise, and that's religion. We think true religion is reading the Bible, coming to church, being with the saints, all those many things, and all those things are involved. He says, you want to know gut level, street level, meat potatoes Christianity here? It's when you want to bless somebody verbally with everything you got, and you say, shut up! Not to them, but to yourself. You reign in your tongue. He said, that's real religion. He said, now, real religion is not just about what you don't do. Real religion is what you do. He said, no, let's talk about doing for people who don't have much. Orphans and widows. These are people that are in obvious need in their life. It's been hard to figure their need. It's a young child that no longer has a family for whatever reason. They're an orphan. It's an older woman whose husband and perhaps even children have died or for whatever reason are no longer there for her. That child is in need. This older lady is in need. She needs that. What does she need? She needs food. She needs attention. She needs love. She, 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 you know, whatever. He said, real religion here is looking at those situations and saying, I need to do something about that situation. He said, well, what, what should you do? I don't know all the time. Looking after orphans and widows and their distress. And real religion is keeping yourself from being polluted 
by the world. Making a decision, I'm not going to go back to the person that I really was. This passage, guys, in James is just meat and potatoes. It's just everyday Christian life. I hope it's been a good study for you. I do apologize for how hot it is in here. I don't know why it's hot in here. We uh, certainly uh, uh, you know, asked him to turn the air conditioner on, but for whatever reason it's not. So, you know, whatever. It is a little warm, but uh, I think all of this will live through it. So uh, enjoy the fellowship. If you're visiting with us, thanks for coming today. God bless.